You're listening to the King's Church Podcast. It's our desire to make the kingdom of God known in Portsmouth as it is in heaven. Well, good morning, everyone. If Yes, if you don't know me, so I, I'm Jess. I've been part of this church for a long time now, about, I think, over 10 or 11 years now. So really, really getting the wrinkles on now. <laughs> Something, if you don't know about me, is that uh, I really love roller coasters, and I like them fast. None of this, like, twirling round and round. I can feel travel sick any day as a passenger. I like the adrenaline of going fast. I like doing the high ropes. Anyone ever done Go Ape before? Yeah, so if you haven't heard of Go Ape, so Go Ape is like a high ropes course. So you're up in the trees, and you've got kind of a, a belt round with some carabiners. And you're shown at the beginning by the instructor that you have these two carabiners, and what keeps you safe is you must be attached at all times. So you have these two, so you go, so they get you to practice doing one, one, off, and then, you know, and you're going along. Yep, fine. And I went a few years ago with um, my husband Martin and with Abby and Jimmy Mack, and there was this point where we were going down the course, and uh, I think it was like a we point where there was like a zip line, and Jimmy went first, and then I went next. I don't know if you remember this story, Jimmy, but... So there was this point where Jimmy went, then I went, and we were doing the carabiner thing, and we somehow got them mixed up. And I remember this moment where we looked at each other and realized we were only attached to each other. (laughs) And we were really high up, and it was just this sudden, like, oh, we're literally holding our lives in each other's hands. And uh, Jimmy and I kind of take the mick out of each other, but right at that moment, it was like, okay, let's sort this, shall we? So I love the adrenaline rush of going fast and being high up, but it's fair to say that I'm not fearless. And I'll explain in a moment why I say that. So as Josh mentioned, we're continuing our series today on resilient faith. Because it's all well and good to say, yep, God, I'm going to believe in you today. I'm going to follow in what you say. But what about when when challenges come up? Like Drew was talking last week about the pain and suffering we can face or things that we don't understand. What about simply the passing of time? You know, as a church, we don't just want to have a faith that lasts. We also want a faith that flourishes. And that faith needs to be resilient to be able to last. We've been using uh, different people in the Bible to inspire us and see how they manage to Uh, manage and not only maintain but thrive in their faith despite the culture that they were living in. The definition we have um, for this series of uh, resilient faith, just give me one moment because I've just lost it a second, is that resilient faith is a posture of our heart, our mind and our soul to remain steadfast in following Jesus while living in a culture in opposition to that pursuit. So if you weren't here um, for Josh's talk when he opened up this series and he unpacked uh, that definition, um, I'd really encourage you to have have a look back um, and see that as well. So as we've been going through, we've been looking at different people. So it was Noah and Abraham. Last week was Joseph. And today we are looking at Moses. And the aspect of having a resilient faith that we're focused on is this idea of boldness. Now before I uh, jump in about Moses, there's just some distinctions that I want to make so that we're all on the same page. And the first is the difference between boldness and being brave. Okay, so boldness is a willingness to face something even though it scares you. 
Someone who's brave, it's more like a personality feature. It's that fearless. They should be afraid, but they're not. And the reason why I think it's so important today to focus on this idea of that, that distinction is that for most of us, we, are, we can be bold, but we're not really brave, right? We've got fears, yeah? I mean, maybe through the power of God, God can raise off all of our fears and we can be brave. But for most of us, our starting point when it comes to living out our faith is that we've got some things that might hold us back. We've got some things that we might be a bit afraid of. So let's dive in and look at Moses. So we're going to be looking at Exodus 4. Um, now, let me give you a bit of context about Moses, because Exodus 4 that we're looking at today is in the midst of a conversation that Moses is having with God. So Moses is a really significant uh, person and part of our history, a really inspirational person in the Bible. Uh, Moses is accredited with writing the original law books. Um, he is... Um, uh, part of the the Passover that still now is is uh, recognised uh, by Jews today. It's a really significant part of our history that Moses plays. So Moses was an Israelite. Uh, he was born as a slave uh, into Egypt, but he was born at a time where the Egyptians were getting worried about the number of Israelites and the risk that they might rise up um, and fight against the Egyptians. So what the pharaohs, essentially the Egyptian king, made this ruling of all newborn boys would be killed at that age in the hope to try and prevent the increase of population but also to take out any kind of uh, option for uh, young boys to rise up, to try and take out some of that momentum. And Moses was part of that cohort but his parents managed to keep him in hiding sent him down a river, and he was rescued, ironically, by Pharaoh's daughter, who then adopted him. So whilst he was technically born an Israelite and a slave, actually his lived experience instead was that of a prince. He had the education and the privilege um, of being in a royal household. But the Bible doesn't tell us, but at some point or another, he finds out his true background. And he's surveying the Egyptian lands, and he witnesses an Egyptian beating an Israelite half to death. And he intervenes, and he attacks until the point where he actually kills him. Thinks he gets away with it, and then the next day, someone says, oh, what are you going to do? You're going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian? And he realizes that he's been caught. And he runs for his life, flees Egypt. He goes to Midian and he gets married. He has children. He oversees his father-in-law's flock. And there's a point where one of the sheep go off and he, he follows after them, which shows something of his character, right? But he goes after them and he sees this bush that is on fire but not burning. And, God's having, and then he hears God's voice through it, telling him he needs to go back to Egypt. He says, look, the people are going to kill you. Then they're, they're gone now. You need to go back. Enough is enough. I've seen the suffering of my people. You need to go back. So Exodus 4. But Moses protested again. What if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what's that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff, and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. 
Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestor, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out again, his hand was as white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now put your hand into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand in, and when he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. The Lord said to Moses, If they do not believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, they'll be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you, even after those two signs, then take some water from the Nile River, pour it onto the dry ground. When you do, the water from the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh Lord, I am not very good with words. I never have been. I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord said to Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not hear? Is it I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you into what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please just send someone else. Then the Lord became angry with Jesus. All right, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well, and look, he's on his way to meet you now. He'll be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I'll be with both of you as you speak. And I'll instruct you in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesperson to the people. He will be your mouthpiece and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs that I have shown you. So some important things here. So first of all, because Moses, we often forget this part. If you hear more about Moses, so he does go back. He does tell Pharaoh to release him. He doesn't do it willingly. There are plagues. There are a lot that happens before he eventually concedes. And Moses goes on to aspire the Israelites. He leads the Israelites out of Egypt. He leads them for 40 years in the desert. And they are inspired by what seems like his fearlessness. But here we see, at the beginning, when God is first calling on him, he is afraid. But notice also God's response here. God is providing a solution to each thing, right? So he's saying, okay, so you're worried they're not going to believe you. You're worried that you're not going to be taken seriously. Here are some things you can do. Here are some miracles. And this wasn't just a cop-out. This was a really good solution because at the time in Egypt, they had many gods, So for Moses to show up and do something that none of their gods could do, there came with that a real authority and a power of, listen to this guy, of which God he is representing here. The other thing is about Aaron. So like I said, Moses, whilst technically been born in Israelite and born into slavery, that wasn't his lived experience, which of course makes it more difficult to advocate for them. Whereas Aaron, he did grow up as a slave. And so together, actually, they could make a really good partnership to advocate on behalf of the Israelites. We are inspired by this story of Moses to be reminded that God can use you no matter what your fears are. You know, the difference between God being able to use someone and not is not whether they have fears or not. It's their willingness. You know, Moses had those fears, but he then was obedient 
And whilst God was calling him to do something that was scary, God was also saying, I will be with you. I will give you the words. I will give you the resources that you need. God is calling us to be bold. In being obedient to him, it's that willingness to do something that scares us. And when we do that, when we have that willingness, God will have our back. He's not going to leave us hanging dry. God knows your limitations even more than you do, but God knows your potential even more than you do. You know, in the midst of being used by God, God is going to be there to help you no matter the risks. But the question is, is it going to be worth it? Facing our fears also requires trust. Yeah, if we're being obedient to God. And if, there's, if it's a scary prospect, it's trusting in God's goodness, in his faithfulness that he will be there for you. And my assertion is when it comes to Moses, because it seems like he becomes less and less afraid. And I don't think it's because his personality has changed. I think it's because as his faith is tested again and again, and how he sees God comes through, that trust builds and builds to the point where he knows when I'm called to do, by some, called to do something by God, God's going to follow through. He's going to have my back and he's going to um, give me the resources I need. His will is more important than whatever fear I might perceive. I want to talk about someone completely different for a moment. And I'll see if you can guess who they are from my, my first paragraph. I've got a description about them. On the chilly evening of December the 1st, 1955, at a bus stop on a busy street in the capital of Alabama, a 42-year-old seamstress boarded a segregated city bus to return home after a long day of work, taking a seat near the middle, just behind the front white section. At the next stop, more passengers got on. When every seat in the white section was taken, the bus driver ordered the black passengers in the middle row to stand so a white man could sit. The seamstress refused to give up her bus seat. Any ideas who I'm talking about? Yeah. Rosa Parks was arrested and convicted of violating the laws of segregation. She was tried on Monday, December 5th, and convicted of disorderly conduct under a state statute and fined $10 plus $4 in court case. A friend, supporter, and, and pres former president of the Montgomery NAACP chapter um, asked if he would let the NAACP use her case to fight segregation. She agreed. She appealed her conviction and thus formally challenged the legality of segregation. Both knew the risks. Harassment, lynching, losing her job. Rosa Parks' defiance of an unfair segregation law which required black passengers to defer to any white person who needed a seat by giving up their own forever changed race relations in America. She was not the first African-American to do this. In fact, two other black women had previously been arrested on Montgomery and were considered by these same groups. However, both women were rejected because community leaders felt they would not gain support. Whereas interesting about Rosa Parks, with her flawless character, quiet strength and moral fortitude, she was seen as an ideal candidate. And those community leaders were right. Rosa Parks' uh, subsequent arrest by local police sparked a collective and sustained community response. 
as one of the young Montgomery residents said at the time, city officials had messed with the wrong one now. The boycott of public buses by blacks in Montgomery lasted 381 days, marking the country's first large-scale demonstration against segregation. The boycott ultimately led the US Supreme Court to outlaw racial segregation on public buses in Alabama. It spurred more nonviolent protests in other cities and catapulted a young Baptist minister named Martin Luther King Jr. into prominence as a leader of the civil rights movement. And it became part of one of the greatest social revolutions in modern American history. In that moment, she did something that sparked something incredible. But it's interesting, in her autobiography, she said when she was sitting there on her own, because she was part of a group of black people who had been told to move, she was sitting there on her own in between, and she said, um, I knew that anything was possible. I could be manhandled or beaten, I could be arrested. I had, you know, I'd never thought I'd be used as a test case. I did not think about anything at all. In fact, if I'd let myself think too deeply about what might happen, I might have gotten off that bus. So it was a moment, a spontaneous moment of defiance. But it didn't come from nowhere. This was something where she had been uh, well educated by her um, family about the history of oppression that had happened. So it had been building up in here this conviction that something has to change, something has to happen. And maybe God is looking at circumstances that we are living in and is saying, enough is enough, something has to happen. And maybe that is going to take some boldness from us. Maybe that's going to need to take some action. But if we think that if we are just one day just going to do the right thing, well, it starts with a willingness to do it. In that moment of not thinking too much, of going, well, I believe in this cause. Yeah, she was convicted of of doing something because she believed in the cause. She believed enough was enough. Do you believe in God's perfect and pleasing will, that God wants to make a difference in and through you in the circumstances around you? Can I be vulnerable with you for a moment? So I am a fairly confident public speaker, but I'm not so great at actively having conversations with people on a one-to-one basis about faith. Is that okay for me to say that? <laughs> Is it okay for me to be honest about that? So a few weeks ago, I, uh, I was going into work, and I was like, do you know what, God? Haven't talked about faith for a while. Come on. I'm just going to say, just give me an opportunity. Maybe today will be a good day, right? Almost saying it flippantly. It's quite a closed, closed book uh, in, in where I work. And uh, someone in the office was kind of chatting, being quite reflective about things and I don't even know how she got onto it, I probably should have been paying more attention but she started to say yeah well a friend of mine um, she became a Christian later on in life and um, yeah she said how it really made an impact to her and sometimes I just yeah I kind of like the idea of having that and I just kind of set up like okay really should have been listening better to what led up to that Um, yeah yeah oh well well, yeah I've got a faith too and um, yeah, that makes a real difference for me. It gives me, you know, when I'm having a tough time, it can give me a real joy and a real peace. Um, it can give me real guidance. It can give real hope for the future. Like, absolutely, you know, I, I'm, I'm really grateful for the faith that I have. And at the time, we were doing some advertising about Alpha coming up. 
And then we had the um, uh, preview night for, for Alpha, and I took my flyer and put it in my work bag, and, and then I um, got to work, and there was, it was quite quiet in the office that day. And someone went out, and it was just the two of us, and I was like, right, it's now or never. And I got my crumpled flyer out, and I was like, see another thing we talked about the other day. There's this, um, here's a flyer about this thing that my church are doing. If you come along, you know, I'll come with you. You, you don't, don't worry, you don't have to sign up to anything at the end. Just, you can just discuss and have questions, and, you know, and she was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll think about it. And then after Christmas, it was the week before Alpha, and I said, um, oh, just wondered if you thought about that course. Oh, yeah, I completely forgot. Um, I'll give it some thought. And then a few days later, she unfortunately went into hospital really unwell, and she is still very, very unwell, and she's, well, she's at home and hasn't replied to messages just checking in on her. I wish I had a better ending to that story. <laughs> But actually, the, the reason why I say it is that actually, when it comes to being bold, sometimes we don't get a Rosa Parks moment. Yeah, sometimes in our culture, we see success as being like, oh, something's got to go viral, and then it was worth doing something scary. But actually, when God calls us to do something, he's got a bigger idea of what's going on. You know, and maybe that will lead to something. Maybe I'll get opportunities to invite her in the future. Maybe there'll be opportunities to have conversations with her. Or maybe that was a time for God to do some work in me to go, right, done it once, come on. You can be braver again next time. You can be bolder next time. Because the fact is, no matter how fearless people might seem, everyone is afraid of something. And if we are going to be part of God's shifting and, and shaking and moving around, there are going to be times where what God's calling on us to do and to be a part of is something that's a bit scary. We don't always get a roundup, the end of the story, but we can play a part of something that is bigger. Are there fears that are holding you back? Are there things where you go, oh yeah, I do that for God, but mm, I'm not sure about that. But life's too short to be held back by fears, right? The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13 to 14 says, Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. Maybe you're afraid of standing out. Maybe you want to fit in. Well, Romans 12.2 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So maybe not fitting in and being different, you might be doing something right, hey? We are called to be different. Maybe you're like me and you have a fear of failure. Well, again, it's our, our shift from what our culture says what failure looks like. Because in God's eyes, it's a willingness and it's an obedience. That's where the success lies. The outcome is up to God, right? And we know that we are imperfect, right? We are spending time getting to know a God who is perfect that we're trying to mimic, but no, we never will. So don't be afraid of failure. <laughs> What about fear of conflict? Well, Jesus says that sometimes gospel might actually lead people to rub against each other, right? 
In Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. In love, sometimes there needs to be a bit of conflict. Resilient faith is reliant on boldness, a willingness to take courage as and when required to live out God's will. God has got your back and you can trust on him, not only to be there when you need him, but also in his overarching, his pleasing and perfect will that is much bigger than we could imagine. And he wants us to be a part of it. Moses had every reason to stay away from Egypt, every reason to doubt his ability to advocate for the freedom of the Israelites, and yet God chose to use him and to use him mightily. If the worship team could come up. So this is not a call to everyone who is fearless, right? This is a call to all of us in despite of our fears. This isn't about... Uh, counting yourself out because of your limitations because God counts you and because he knows your potential and the reality is an authentic faith is one which leads us to live differently to not go the easy route to love the unloving to forgive the unforgivable to challenge those who are challenging it's going to take boldness What what is holding you back what fears might you have what hesitations might you have Let's be like Moses was and honest with God and real with God. I don't want to do this, but God can reaffirm us of what he can provide for us and how he can work through and with us. So the band are going to play, and I want to encourage you just to take a moment to have an honest conversation with God. Am I willing to do things that scare me if God's asked me to do it? Are there things that might hold me back? Let's be honest with God and ask God as well for a fulfillment of encouragement that God's got our back, that he's going to be with us and he's going to provide for us when we need it. A reminder of God's perfect will for our lives. If there's anything from the teaching that challenged you, please know that we're praying for you and would love to support you. If you need any help or support, please email pastoral at thekings.church. Also, if you have questions about faith, starting on the 15th of January, we are running Alpha, which is an amazing course helping you learn who the person of Jesus is. You can find out all the details of that on our website. God bless you. See you soon.